Uh, welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And I'm Kim. And this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and see God, not to it to primarily see ourselves. All right. So we're jumping right back in with Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles. Oh, yeah. All right. So it's a lot here. Um, once again, just to recap a little bit, right? Second Chronicles and First Chronicles used to be one book, right? right. And so mm-hmm. originally uh, it was one book only a few hundred years ago. It was split up. And so it's just going to pick up right where we left off in First Chronicles, right. talking to this post-exilic uh, community, talking about Solomon. Picking up with Solomon. Yeah. And, and just still remember that the idea of First and Second Chronicles was focusing on David's kingdom and yep. the temple. And so as we go through looking at Solomon's life mm-hmm. and him building the temple and how it all fell apart, and you're probably familiar with some of this from... First and Second Kings going through this. And so one of the things you'll notice, though, in Second Chronicles is that they are focusing mostly on Judah's kings yeah. and not Israel's kings. And yeah. so Israel's kings are peripheral. They are only mentioned as much as they are related to Judah's kings mm, and their downfall. Good. So Absolutely. Yeah, that's a very good point. All right. So we see Solomon here and it comes in. One of my favorite parts about Solomon's reign, a lot to not like, <laughs> there's a lot to like about him. One of the things I do love about Solomon is that he starts off well. Um, he, he starts off, you know, seeking the Lord. He's worshiping at the tent of meeting that was constructed by Moses, right? And so God comes to him and says, man, what you want me to do for you? Right. And Solomon says more than I think mm-hmm. he knew at the time, right? Like he says something profound. He says, man, give me wisdom, right? Give me wisdom and knowledge. And I'm like, bravo, Solomon, right? And, and he's a like, young man, the Bible will say at this time too. Go ahead. Yeah. And he knew his limitations. Like mm. David mentioned that he was young and experienced. Yeah. So Solomon knew this. And instead of trying to make him seem, help himself seem greater than he is, he yeah. asked God for what he needed in order to be the king he knew God was calling him to be. Mm, that's good. Absolutely. And I just thought about, man, when it comes to God, one of the best ways to know what we think of him is by mm. what we ask of him. Exactly. Yeah. You mm, know what I mean? And so it's just like, for Solomon to ask for the wisdom of God, uh, that says something about what he thinks about God right. himself. And so Solomon knows this, and he, yeah, and he knows that God has been faithful throughout the generations, right? That God has shown this has right. said type of love to Abraham and to um, all of the his forefathers, Moses, and he's the God of the covenant, right? And so Solomon's going to keep it going and build this temple. <laughs> now, one of the interesting things that I noticed is... There are little things along the way that kind of yeah. give us ideas of the direction that Solomon may have been taking. The mm. fact that he ended up with a th- a 1,000 women in yep. his life. Yep. But then there was something specifically in Deuteronomy when they talk about not acquiring a lot of wives. And sure. they also talk about some, something little to us, horses, really? not to get horses from Egypt. Mm. And here it is, you see. And it's like, oh, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the way that Samson went. It was like mm-hmm. little bitty decisions along the way mm-hmm. that gave us glimpses as to how he could possibly end up. Uh, that's so good. That's so good. Absolutely. It's those little compromises over time that leads to our big downfall. So Solomon, yeah, reaches out to an old friend of Pops for help. Right. So essentially what you have is this foreigner, King Hiram, who assists Solomon in building the temple, mm-hmm. right? And remember that David gets this promise Uh, given to him by God. And he says, uh, God wants him to construct or God wants his son to construct the temple, even though David wanted to do it himself. Right. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. so Solomon um, calls King Hiram. And what's crazy here is that, again, the temple is this very, very important thing in the Bible, especially in first and second Chronicles. 
Um, but what God wants us to know, again, like we said before, is that uh, the temple is the center of Israel's reality, right? Mm-hmm. Like that is where they come to worship, but it is what the com- community flows out of. Right? right. And one of the things, too, about the temple that I noticed um, where we, we mentioned this in First Chronicles, mm-hmm. the idea of where it was, yeah. where he built it. Yeah. And just we also talked about in First Chronicles, this idea of God connecting the dots. Sure. And so here we mentioned before, it's Mount Moriah. He's building the temple. Yeah. David is the one who bought that plot because that's where the angel of the Lord showed up when they were going through the plague that killed 70,000 men. But then that's also the place where Abraham offered Isaac up as a sacrifice. And so there's all of this history that, again, the people who are reading would know the original listeners to this, the original readers to this, not listeners, (laughs) would have known. Yeah, absolutely. They weren't reading the Bible back then. But yeah, like in, like, yeah, especially like chapter three, I love that, like God connects the dots, but Mm -hmm. I love how he talks about like the most holy place. Right. Mm -hmm. And what what many people would say was that the temple, the most holy place was uh, the temple was made for the most holy place, right? The presence of God. And that's where the priests would go, the high priests would go uh, once a year, Day of Atonement, to sacrifice mm-hmm. animals for here the sins of the people, right? And so like God, even here, right? We think about the forgiveness of sins and we think about Christ going to the cross and rightfully so, but God was setting up a way for his people to be forgiven and for sins to be atoned for way back before Jesus was even on the map. From the beginning. From the beginning. And I love, like we talk about the temple and they were talking about the pillars. They gave so many details. Mm-hmm. It's funny to me that they give all of the chronicle gives all the details about the temple and then mm-hmm. kind of mentions, oh yeah, and he built his palace too. Mm-hmm. Like that wasn't his concern was not Solomon's palace. It was the temple and temple worship. But then when they talk about the two pillars in verse 17 of chapter three, it, he talks about the two pillars. He names them Jakim and Boaz. Yeah. And it means he establishes and in him is strength. Hmm. And so you're walking into the temple reminding and being reminded that hmm. God establishes and in him is strength. So Yeah, absolutely. No, I love that. I think the temple uh, repre- represents um, God's transcendence, that he is far and high above, mm-hmm. but he is also imminent. He is close and dwells with his people. And... Um, it's funny that in chapter four, they talk about these gold lampstands. And you think about, if you remember uh, in Exodus, right, the tabernacle only had one gold lampstand. And here, the temple has 10. And so what, what the Bible is showing, like, yes, this thing is uh, huge. And right. the tabernacle was pointing to the temple. But I think even more than that, the type of material that the things were made with shows that God is majestic, right? That mm-hmm. he is... Uh, our treasure, right? He right. is something to be prized, our biggest pos- prized possession. And this grand reality is still even a shadow, right? Of really what's to of come. Heaven. Who, of who he, oh yeah, of oh heaven. My goodness. Of what heaven really is and who God that's really is. Um, which is just, yeah, amazing. And it speaks to just the wealth of Solomon's time hmm. when it talks about, you know, there was an emphasis on bronze being so much that it couldn't be weighed. Yeah. And you'll see later on when things fall apart, mm-hmm. bronze is what's valuable. Hmm. And it's like this, the wealth of the nation is tied into for them, for Israel, their well-being, the wealth of the nation, their military power is tied into how they viewed Christ or how they view God yeah. and how they interacted with him, how they worship him, whether or not they obeyed, whether or not they followed his statues. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, man, 
the chronicler, <laughs> he goes into detail about a lot of things, but I think specifically mm -hmm. here, he goes into detail about the temple. One, because this uh, post-exilic community is about to have another temple and they need to understand mm -hmm. how important it is for all of the uh, articles and materials and equipment that is in it to be there. To, right. So the Levites and the priests can perform their duties, but also so they would know the worth and majesty of the God they served. <laughs>